Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, a follow-up wrapping up this second season of The Bear, the FX on Hulu breakout sensation from last year, which just dropped its entire season just a few days back. If you have only watched part of the season or you have not yet caught up on the first episode of this two-episode coverage, do check out the last episode, which I published just a day ago. And of course, later this week, expect an episode where I discuss the the season finale of Silo, the Apple TV Plus sci-fi show, which had a very successful first season. And I'm very curious to see how they finish this first season. Expect that episode probably around Friday. As for the bear, just re-watching these episodes to put my podcast episode together, I really do feel structurally that that first set of five episodes has its own inner arc that in a way, makes it feel like it is a complete statement, a mini season. And these back five episodes have their own arc, beginning and ending with this, this elaborate high stakes meal that's being prepared. There's seven fishes, which means you have to make seven entirely different dishes, seven entirely different ways. And that takes a lot of time. And I think spending that time and using that time on the people that we love is how we show them that we love them. And maybe we eat too much and we definitely drink too much and we say too much without listening. But tonight we, we're gonna eat seven fishes, <laughs> which is absurd, uh, but we have to take extra time to do it. And we have to chew more and we have to listen more. And uh, we only get to do this tonight one time. Episode six is called Fishes. And I think this is the episode probably of the entire show that will generate the most conversation and probably will get oversold as this brilliant achievement in filmmaking or something. I personally, this is maybe one of my absolute least favorite episodes of The Bear. It's too long. I, in general, as I mentioned in the first half coverage, prefer when the show actually gets to slow down and luxuriate in discovering these people. And more importantly, to see in those quiet moments, their love of this craft, this love of making food. And this is the exact opposite of everything I like in the show, to be totally honest. However, I will say that regardless of that, it is intentional, right? Like the whole point is to show that this is Carmi's background, this incredibly stressed out, tense experience of preparing this food and what it signifies within the context of their family. So the episode itself, Fishes, is a flashback. We know right away because we see, first of all, that Sugar is smoking. She probably wouldn't smoke while she was this pregnant. But more importantly, Michael wanders out. And Michael, of course, is played by John Barenthal, who appeared in season one in maybe three scenes of the entire season. And here gets a lot more to do. And we get to see, importantly, I think this works well, we get to see the dynamic of the family back, I was going to say before Carmi had actually left to start his culinary career, but that's not true. He's actually still going back and forth. So he's already started his career and he's actually getting it from his family for him being a little bit absent and we see the relationships between all these different characters. Now, my criticism here, I do very much like all these performers. And once again, this is my own taste. 
I like the fact that I really don't know these actors. I really didn't know Eben Moss, Bachrach. I really didn't. I mean, I knew Jeremy Allen White from watching Shameless, but I've only seen one season of Shameless. I never really liked Shameless very much. And of course, most of these other actors in this show, very few screen appearances or just in character roles. And suddenly we find that not only is John Barenthal Michael, which of course we knew already, but Uncle Lee is played by Bob Oderkirk. Richie's wife is played by Gillian Jacobs. Michelle's boyfriend is played by John Mulaney. And of course, Michelle is played by Sarah Paulson. And of course, the coup de grace here, the mom, Donna, is played by Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> it's aggressively angling to get an Emmy Award. She just got her Academy Award this year, now looking for that Emmy. And she may very well get it. All this is to say, honestly, I found it a little distracting. I liked not having a celebrity level relationship with these individual actors. And it undercuts the moment a little bit. I have to say it undercuts things a little bit here in this episode. And yet, and yet this very long episode, which does somewhat rub me the wrong way, does in the end land its most powerful blows. I mean, this is one of the most tense hours and change. This is over an hour of television. This is hereditary without the supernatural element or maybe more closely, the movie Krisha, if you've ever seen that. The only thing I would say, of course, is if you've seen Krisha or Hereditary, there is a tone of horror, which of course is absent from this particular event. Although all of the horrible psychodynamics of this family are on full display here. Some interesting takeaways here, regardless of how hysterical I think that the tone might get, there's still some interesting revelations here. Seeing this anxiety within the mother, and probably understanding that this is, to a large extent, a similar personality and similar demons that Michael fought with, his own mania, his own depression, and his own anxieties. That I think is pretty interesting to discover there. I also very much like to see Richie's relationship with Tiffany. And most importantly, I think in that dynamic, seeing Uncle Jimmy, the Oliver Platt character, once again, always playing this tough guy, always playing like he's going to be the one who's stereotypically going to come in and destroy the business or something. And over and over again, proving himself to be incredibly patient and honestly, very caring about this very dysfunctional family. He's not a bad guy. He's just like the only guy who's keeping his eye on the ball. And this all culminates with this incredible interaction at the dinner table. First, the whole situation where Michael is threatening to hit Lee once again with that fork. Don't throw that fork. And then that pivot in which Stevie gives this truly great speech, reminding the family in a way of what they have and what he does not have and how as dysfunctional as they are, at least they're always there for each other. This family that has in a way adopted these other wastrels in the neighborhood. And just when you think that could be a balm to soothe all the injuries here amongst the family members, Donna cannot accept it. She can't. And she just says, I give and give and give, and no one gives me anything. And of course, if you've known people like this, there is this need to put the weight of the world on their shoulders, make themselves into victims, and then refuse help, make everybody else into the bad guy. This is just an incredible dynamic. And it's an incredibly uncomfortable watch, basically, is what it comes down to. And of course, this all culminates with her driving the car through the house, which for me, once again, a little too much, a little too much. 
Although I do feel the psychology of these characters are really spot on. It's just, honestly, those five minutes, the escalation with the fork situation through Mulaney's speech and then to Jamie Lee Curtis's inability to accept that kind grace really told me everything I needed to know about the dynamics in the house. And it just seemed too long for me for all of that. Your mileage may vary. I'm sure, by the way, I'm probably an outlier here. I'm sure everyone's going to say this is their absolute favorite episode. For my particular tastes, it's a little too heightened. However, however, it does lead to the absolute best episode of this entire show. Episode seven, the episode called Forks. So this place happened. Oh, now that was on my, my 38th birthday. Mm-hmm. I was out walking all night, unemployed, angry, depressed, blaming everybody else for all the time I'd lost and the money I'd lost, all of it. And it was raining. And I was walking through Lincoln Park. My phone had died. And so I stood under this awning waiting for the rain to stop. And I just stood there and stared and eventually the sun came up and it turns out I was right there. And then I walked round to the front and I saw the sign. It was an actual sign. It was a restaurant for lease sign. Like, uh... Never too late kind of thing. Yeah, never too late to start over. Now, I thought this show had already achieved its greatest achievement in giving me, personally, my personal tastes, the episode with Marcus in Copenhagen just a couple episodes ago. And now we get this episode. Once again, going back to how just incredibly the show has expanded and pulls off this trick of humanizing all these different side characters, seeing that episode where Sydney's with her father understanding what she sacrificed in her past, having tried to start a restaurant before and failed at it. And now once again, feeling like she's within reach of having her dream and so terrified of losing it again. And then just an episode later, Tina's incredible episode, the karaoke scene, just one of the magical moments in that episode. And of course, all of Marcus's trip on the spiritual odyssey to understand himself better Why does he desperately want to be good at this? Speaking to someone who's been in his shoes, who's giving him casually these incredible life lessons and having that moment, very importantly, of him just being at the right place at the right time, rescuing somebody simply because he chose to go out that night. And that's a metaphor too, right? For not being so inside your head, so inside your your obsessions with this particular task at hand, that there's a big world out there and you have a place in it bringing everything full circle, beautifully written here by Alex Russell. This episode, number seven, directed by Christopher Storer, finds Richie going to stage at an elite restaurant, and all he needs to do is to clean forks for many, many hours. And he's just not happy about it. And I love this whole journey that Richie goes on here over the course of this episode. Of course, we saw this set up over the course of season one, And of course, once again, reiterated in his conversation with Carmi back in the first episode of this season, Richie just doesn't know what his place in the world is anymore. He's never been able to find out what he's good at. And by the way, he thinks that Carmi is punishing him by sending him here. He actually gets mocked by Garrett saying, oh, you think you're getting punished? You're getting punished by having to work at one of the best restaurants in the world? And I just love everything about this episode. This acceptance of doing something really well, even if it's just cleaning a fork, of accepting the fact that maybe by doing 
everything excellently, all these little details, it all pays off in some way. And finding value in being a part of a greater thing. Maybe you can't be great on your own, but collectively you can give someone else a great experience. And you see the detail and the focus that every single person at this restaurant has to bring. And it's his understanding that it's not him being like, well, I don't matter at the bear because I'm not the chef. But his discovery over the course of this whole entire week that every single person is essential to making the experience to the customer one of the best experiences they're going to have. And that is the understanding that they've all come to. And it's the thing that Richie has to understand as well. By the way, I totally agree with this. I thought this episode is completely magical, but this is also the way people like join cults, <laughs> to be honest. And maybe there's some commentary in there, by the way. Maybe it's the understanding that you see people who are willing to give everything for their art or for their craft, and they're obsessive about it. It is like being a member of a cult. You have to believe that nothing else matters more than this one task that is currently at hand. And it's this real journey of self-discovery here for Richie. I love the way this story is told. And I have had this experience in my life, by the way, of waking up before the clock goes off because all of a sudden you're so driven, you're so excited, you're so looking forward to the next day. You know what you want to do. You know what you need to do. Another thing I can relate to also is when I used to speak in public that putting on a suit is armor, by the way. It absolutely is armor. You put on that jacket and you feel it gives you poise and confidence and it protects you in some way, some psychological way. And of course, Richie starts wearing jackets after that. And this episode culminates beautifully with a conversation star-studded cameos in this season of television. But I can barely complain when the scene is this good. Olivia Coleman playing Chef Terry and giving him some very valuable advice. And once again, the motif of this whole entire season, every second counts. This episode also features a great, like really hysterically funny, Taylor Swift needle drop. And as the father of a young daughter, yes, we all need a break from Taylor Swift every once in a while. Although my wife is the one who's playing Taylor Swift all the time. <laughs> Even my daughter wants a break sometimes. So anyway, that's episode seven, Forks. And as if I could have hoped to have a better episode than Honeydew, we get this one, which is just an all-timer. I think for a long time, I didn't really know where I fit, you know, and I would shove myself into like places and things where I definitely did not fit. And I think that that probably definitely made things worse. And I'm sorry if I took anything out on you and if I treated you like shit. Um, because I actually do think that we could fit good together. I could be good at things that you don't really want to do. And you're obviously really great at a whole bunch of stuff that I don't know how to do, you know? That's why you're wearing the suit. Um... I'm wearing a suit because it makes me feel better about myself. Episode number eight is called Bolognese. Once again, directed by Christopher Storer. And this one written by Rene Goob. And this episode really moves very briskly, just setting up the dominoes for the finale, really, the last two episodes, but really the finale. We have reiterated once again that they have to pass this fire test. The balloon cannot pop. The gas cannot spread. Ibrahim comes back to the restaurant, is welcomed back. So there's no drama here, actually. And he's a little embarrassed about having quit on the culinary school. 
I did like that this was no drama here. This is really a family accepting each other back. Sydney is sounding more and more like Coach K, and Richie's on a charm offensive, but really basically apologizing for what a jerk he's been. He really has taken this all to heart. I mean, maybe there's another shoe to drop in season three, <laughs> but at this moment, he has really become a new person. At this moment, he has he has found his mission and he's committed to this. And one of the first things he does, not only wearing that jacket, as I mentioned, he goes and apologizes to Sugar. She thinks this is going to be a complete disaster, non-apology, but it's not. He earnestly gives her a beautiful apology. Marcus is back previewing his desserts and they like him. They think he's got some winners. Richie even helps with interviewing the front of the house and he's spot on. He, I mean, this is quite a turnaround for this character. Maybe now that I'm outlining it all, maybe a little unbelievable, but I'm more than happy to see him make this pivot. And completing this apology tour with another beautiful token of his appreciation to Sydney as well. On the negative side of things, Uncle Jimmy is back and is mentioning that the property's not worth as much as they thought it was with real estate prices going down, interest rates going up. He needs this thing to start making money fast. And he is concerned, obviously, as anybody who would be putting this much money into something would be. Sugar is trying to keep him calm, but of course, she has her own doubts as well. And once again, also on the negative side is the fact that this slight resentment and concern that Cindy's had that Carmi's eyes not on the ball continues to bubble up, although it hasn't boiled over quite yet. And you see all these ways that she's starting to get more and more uncomfortable when she hears that, well, you know, we might change the recipe. I was running this by Claire and Claire said, and Claire said, and it's just adding to Sydney's anxiety. They pass the fire test, by the way, because FAC of all people realizes that the gas isn't cutting off because it's intentional. Michael had tried to burn down the restaurant, so he did not want the gas to engage. He had overridden it. And with that fix, they've passed their test. And the restaurant is ready to open. Carmi finally admits that he has a girlfriend. That's right. The person you've been living with for the past two months is actually your girlfriend. And he makes her a bowl of bolognese when she gets home. This is a lot of setup. Plotting is very tight here in this episode. Mostly plot, but of course, character development throughout as well. As all of these tensions between, for example, Sydney and Carmi continue to percolate. But of course, the biggest takeaway here is a direct follow-up on the previous episode, is the true reformation of Richie being really intentional with everything he does, which is, I mean, maybe, I mean, this is aspirational for me, honestly. I think we should all be this intentional with everything we do. Every little choice he makes, every small decision, which of course is what he learned in last week's episode. And I mean, if he could bring that to the staff at the restaurant, that's going to be a huge asset for them. So not only has Richie found his place, he may become the most essential person at the restaurant. This business, like a lot of businesses, it sucks, right? But this one sucks extra hard because the profit margins are non-existent, right? And unforced errors, trust me, they're contagious. So you don't have the luxury of hiding behind little Stevie Bartman. It is all you. It's all you, right? So you got to put your fucking head down. You got to focus and you got to live this shit and nothing else. I actually want this place to work for you, buddy. I really do. I don't want to. I don't want to take it from me. I don't want to knock it down. I will take it from me. I will knock it the fuck down. I don't want to. But if it's going to work for you, you got to give up every fucking minute, every drop of blood you have. You cannot take your eyes off this thing. And in return, you know what you're going to get? Nice sharp kick in your little nuts daily. 
for the foreseeable future. How's that all sound to you? All right, we're getting close to the end. Episode nine is called Omelette. And boy, we get a delicious looking omelet here. I, I've heard this recipe's gone viral. It's such a simple recipe. And by the way, do yourselves a favor and make yourselves a really nice omelet or make your loved one, one of your loved ones, a omelet as a present. It's nutritious, it's delicious, and it's just like, like a little hug in the form of a meal. And it takes mere moments to make. In episode number nine, Omelet, is directed by Christopher Storer, once again, and written by Joanna Kahlo and Christopher Storer. We're getting close to opening day. They're having a VIP friends and family open tasting menu. And this is going to be the most aggressive test, really. This is really to see just how ready they are for opening. A huge tasting menu. They're going to prepare everything for everybody. And this is the day leading up to that evening service. Carmi starts his day making love to Claire. Sydney's dad sees that she's wound a little too tight. He tells her that he doesn't want her to feel like she has to make everything the thing. And she said, why can't we put everything we have into everything? If you're going to put everything you have into everything, then why is this thing more important than all other things? He comes around on this, by the way, by the end of next episode. Carmine is trying to keep it together, but he is feeling the stress, flashing back on everything that's brought him up to this moment, including, of course, his brother's death. Trigger tells Carmi that she's invited mom and she doesn't want him to freak out. And he says, I don't want you to freak out if she doesn't come. An interesting reversal on that. Sydney and Carmi run through the menu. And this is when she finally admits to him after all this time that her mom passed away when she was much younger. This place is starting to look like a real place. It's beautifully decorated, except for that painting that Sugar has hung up. They're running through the menu. Sugar's a little concerned that they don't have more reservations going further out. But overall, all this pre-work looks very smooth. And they seem pretty ready to open. This is the calm before the storm. And this is another one of these episodes in the bear in general that I've liked very much is just the process. I, th- I love seeing process. I love seeing how people put things together, work as a team, overcome obstacles. And this is the calm, ideal, mellow, efficient version of everybody working together, tasting each other's food, ironing out the kinks, laughing, a real sense of camaraderie here. But of course, we know that when things actually start, it always gets a lot noisier and a lot more stressful. All this food looks delicious, by the way. (laughs) I'm getting hungry just re-watching some of these scenes. Uncle Jimmy tells an ominous story to Carmi, reminding him, of course, of a botched play at third base that derailed the Cubs' dreams of going to the World Series after an incredibly long dry spell, of course, historically long. But how that's not remembered, but all anybody remembers is one of the patrons in the stand going for the ball and supposedly ruining their chances of making it to the World Series. But Jimmy's not saying, no, it's not some random outsider that could derail this place. It's you. It's you supposedly doing your job, the thing you do every day, day in and day out, and you took your eye off the ball. And what he's telling him is, Carmi, I love Claire. I love you and Claire together. I hope you guys are madly in love, but you're taking your eye off the ball. And of course, it's his money that's on the line. And by the way, he doesn't even think he can make much if he has to take over the building. So he really needs this thing to succeed. And he needs Carmi to pull it together for him. And as we head into the home stretch, awaiting first service, we have that wonderful moment where Sydney makes that delicious looking omelet for sugar. And Marcus, by the way, makes a move on Sydney, which gets her flustered. As a matter of fact, they have their 
first nightly meet with the staff. Richie gives a strange but motivating speech. Sydney is flustered by the whole interaction with Marcus. Marcus is trying to play it off, but very awkwardly. One more variable just moments before service, and it's go time. Let her rip. We have some nice moments here before we get to that, though. Carmi and Sydney trying to fix this table together, a little metaphor for this business they've gotten themselves into. And to a large extent, their tension is dissipated by the fact he's bought her a new chef's coat emblazoned with her initials, something that she coveted when she saw it at his apartment. And of course, we saw in this very episode that she's putting on a dirty one before at the beginning of the day, but now she has her armor on too, just like Jimmy. And then they open the door and this is pretty much all set up for that finale. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Baby, it's the thing. To go it alone and hold it alone. Here's season two finale called The Bear, directed once again by Christopher Storer and written by Kelly Galuska. Although not in a single take, this very much reflects back to that single take episode of season one. This is incredibly tense, but the intentionality here is very different. It's not this complete failure and the complete stress. It's accepting that stress and overcoming it to a large extent. Importantly, I forgot to mention, but in the very last episode, we saw that Carmine was ignoring repeatedly these calls from Claire. He is starting to have that doubt in his mind, given what he heard from Sydney, given what he heard from Jimmy, that maybe he does indeed have his eye off the ball with this relationship with Claire. Just want to call out, by the way, that Richie is very tan here, very tan for February in Chicago. This is probably a hangover suntan from his work on Andor. <laughs> That's my guess. Richie, in a more limited way, has done what he learned when he was staging at that other restaurant to know your guests before they arrived. And one of those guests, of course, is Sydney's dad, who no longer drinks. But that's okay, because they have artisanal soda pops in anticipation of this very thing. A very nice touch here at the restaurant. I love this tone change from going front of the house to back of the house, the total chaos in trying to get the food, continue to keep the food moving in the back and heading to the front. And the calm, the presentation, right, which of course is the goal of this whole thing is to create this safe space for these people to have this transcendent experience and in the background, total chaos. And of course, once again, this is a metaphor for any creative pursuit, right? Whether it is making a movie or running a restaurant, but right, it's like you do not see the sausage being made. Uh, you know, if you saw the movie Babylon, you see how they were. You know, back in the silent movie days, you were literally shooting three, four, five movies side by side by side, and in the frame, everything's beautiful. Outside the frame, it's total and utter chaos. And service is getting slower and slower in the back. It's not helping that there's this tension between Sydney and Marcus. And it certainly does not help when Carmi gets himself locked into the walk-in freezer because he forgot to call the refrigerator guy over and over and over again. You took your eye off the ball. But as Sydney said, you have to be able to improvise. You need to be able to be flexible and play a different role if that's what needs to be. It's the only way to win, as Coach K has taught her. And that's what happens. Everybody shifts positions. Once again, reformed Richie to the rescue. When he was stodging, he saw 
what the coordinator, I don't know this role is. I don't, I don't run a restaurant. I don't know what this role is, but the person who is telling everybody what to do and what to stage, what plates to fire at what time, that coordinator, I, I don't know what that role is called, but Jimmy seemed to take to it right away when he was staging at that other restaurant. And he jumps into pole position here and he does a great job. And little by little, the food starts moving. The plates start going out. The entire time, Carmi's pounding his fists in the refrigerator, probably thinking that everything is falling apart outside. But instead, everything's doing great. In the midst of all this is when the Berzato matriarch shows up, Jamie Lee Curtis once again, showing up for one more scene. And she just can't bring herself to go into the restaurant. Pete does see her though and tries to intercept her. He's so excited. Oh, you actually made it. But she won't let herself have this. Once again, it's all about her. And Pete even lets slip that Natalie is pregnant. He's surprised he's never, she's never even told her mom. I assume she was planning to tell her tonight, considering how pregnant she currently is. So none of this goes well. And he actually ends up breaking down. He can't even tell Natalie why he's crying. He promised the mother not to tell her. And he probably just thinks it's probably best for her not to know. And after the maelstrom, it actually is calm again. They have survived it this time. This is a total success. Everybody's eating. Everybody's loving the food. And the team is clicking. All their doubts have been resolved. They've all upped their game and they all did perfectly, even though Carmi wasn't even there for any of it or most of it. And it's Carmi now here at the end who is ruining what was a hugely successful night. First, accidentally breaking up with Claire, not realizing she's right outside the door because he's confessing that he has let this relationship ruin the restaurant, even though everything went fine. And then getting into a fight with Richie. Richie just trying to say to him that he loves him and he won't even accept it. This is him channeling his mom here at this moment. And this is once again why I thought this was a very good bookend of episodes here between the first episode, Fishes, and this one here at the end. And as we approach the end of the episode, most of this is really lovely. You see Sydney's dad saying that this is the thing. He's finally convinced. Marcus gets a note from his friend in Copenhagen telling him to make it worth it and referencing number 33, Scottie Pippen's number. Not Jordan, but still in the Hall of Fame. And what did Marcus get from the chef in Copenhagen? That sign, every second counts. And that's the theme of this whole entire show. Carmi's still getting cut out of the icebox, lit by the sparks of the saw cutting through the door. Can he fix things with Claire? Should he fix things with Claire? That's a big question. So that brings us to the end of this really incredible season of television. And I think this speaks to the quality of the show. Probably the moment that everyone's supposed to talk about and people probably will talk about, which I found the most irritating, the episode Fishes, the flashback episode, which I think is essential to understanding the dynamics of this family, which doesn't work for me, didn't work for me, and is such an essential part of this whole entire story. And yet, I still love this because the rest of this is just so incredible that even when the thing I'm supposed to be paying attention to doesn't work for me, everything else works so perfectly. I mentioned in the last recap that I would circle back to some of the themes here in the show and what I think the show is trying to say. There is this duality, right? We heard Will Poulter's character from Copenhagen telling Marcus that you need to be open. It's not just about technique. It's not just about being really, really good at what you do. It's about opening yourself up to experiences so you could bring that into your food because he's never had this incredible meal because it was the technique that was so incredible. It was because the ideas 
the inspiration in the dish is what was so powerful. And that's a story that maybe Carmi has not figured out yet. Carmi thinks if he could just be really, really good, if he could get his technique perfect, if he could just shave off another second, that he'll be the best. And by the way, he is the best. He's won the awards, has the prestige, and yet he's missing that thing, which is the passion in his life. And you see him aware of this to some extent when he's at that AA meeting. And honestly, I think Claire's coming back next season. That would be my guess. And he should work it out with her. I mean, she's a surgeon or a doctor, right? She has a very hectic day too. He can have his hectic days and they can kind of just have this solace together at the end of the day. He does not have to revolve his whole entire life around her. As a matter of fact, he won't even be able to considering the line of work that she's in. So he's using that as an excuse to close himself down so that he can commit to this when that's not what he needs to do. He just needs to make a phone call to the fridge refrigerator guy. He can't blame his relationship on that. He had more than enough opportunity when he was driving home or on the bus or however he commutes to make the phone call for the fridge guy. Have your priorities, but have your life too. And I think the show is saying that explicitly, right? I think that's the lesson that's trying to come out of this. So I don't think we're supposed to think that Carmi is right to break up with Claire at the end or that it's necessary, even if Jimmy thinks that that might be the case. And by the way, Jimmy's not even saying that. Jimmy's saying you need to keep your eye on the ball. That doesn't mean break up with Claire. It means that have Claire, but then you still need to keep your eye on the ball. Anyway, anyone who's ever tried to accomplish something, no matter what it is, it doesn't have to be running a restaurant. It doesn't have to be running a business. It doesn't have to be making a movie or a TV show. Anyone who's really struggled to accomplish something can really appreciate what the show is trying to say. And it's so uplifting in a way, this idea of these little life lessons of doing the work and finding a passion is fulfilling. We should gravitate to that, and but we shouldn't let it ruin our lives. It can be dangerous to become too fixated on what you're trying to achieve, but there's some value in just trying to make something, even if it's just a great plate of food. So that is The Bear. And let me know if you like this better or worse than season one. I definitely prefer this. I like how it expanded the story. I like getting more insight into the psychological damage of these people. I like how much richer this is to understand that all these people are broken in their own ways, as we all have our own traumas and limitations. But collectively, they have a shared vision. And there's something really beautiful about that and a really beautiful about a show that's trying to remind us of that as well. Once again, check the show notes. I will have a link there to the Spotify playlist with some of these great songs, REMs, Half a World Away, just here at the end of the episode, just to name one. So if you did appreciate that music as I did, check out the show notes for that link. And I'll talk to you soon with our coverage of The Silo season finale. Life